All right, we got here Damon Lemby, CEO of LearnIt.com, best-selling author of Learn It All Leader. Keyword, best-selling. Congratulations. That's incredible, man. Thank you so much for taking the time on the show. Guys, thanks for having me here today. Um, I'm excited to be here. Absolutely, man. So I know we connected very briefly just before this, but you know, for the listeners that don't know your story, tell us a little bit more about you know your life, where you've been, where you're at, and kind of where you're headed. Sure. So my name is Damon Lemby, and I live out here in the San Francisco Bay Area in a town called Sausalito. I grew up in San Francisco area, and really as a young kid, my whole life kind of focused around sports. You know, whatever season it was, if it was baseball season, we were giants. If it was the basketball season, Warriors. And in high school, I realized that if I was going to get a scholarship uh, to play sports, my best bet was in baseball. I played you know, varsity, baseball, and basketball all four years. Um, and then, but I really focused on baseball. Everything was focused towards baseball. And I, I got drafted by the Atlanta Braves after my senior year in the 13th round, uh, dating myself by saying this, but back in 1990. And, um, and I had my first big choice, you know, do I want to go the minor league route or uh, college? I had a full ride to Pepperdine University in, in Southern California. And I think I was a little intimidated and I really appreciated the vision of our coach, Andy Lopez. And so I took the full scholarship as a third baseman at uh, Pepperdine, uh, got hurt, left. And funny enough, they won the College World Series the year after I left <laughs> and um, ended up at Arizona State. I, I played at Arizona State and uh, got to play in the College World Series, hit a home run in the College World Series. My wife is so tired of hearing that story. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I, you know, doing a little research on, on you gentlemen, you know, somewhat similar. I was ready to go to the next level. I, I thought that uh, I was going to get picked up in the eighth or 12th round, um, both after my junior year or senior year. I didn't get drafted and I had an opportunity, you know, I could have gone the independent route, but at that point, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I was a little, I was pretty depressed and beat up over it. And, um, you know, cause I always thought, my first 22 years, I'm going to be a major league baseball player. And so here I am at 22 and I'm like, I don't even know if my skills are transferable anymore. You know, what am I going to do next? And uh, I'm really fortunate. I, I came from uh, a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, my dad and grandfather, we had one of the largest real estate companies in um, California and especially in San Francisco, multi apartments, multi-tenant buildings. We had a hotel chain and everything from a shopping center to a Chinese restaurant. My dad was awesome. He came up with all this stuff. Lost him, unfortunately, in 2010. And uh, he was also starting this computer training company called Learn It, which, uh, like a lot of great entrepreneurs out there, he just went to solve his own problem. You know, he, he took a class somewhere. He hated it. And he's like, there's got to be a better way to do it called up a, a guy who is the CFO of our savings and loan in the eighties. And he's like, I got this great idea. I want to have short classes and I want to make it fun. I want it to be a downtown San Francisco. And for me, I was lucky that that's just when my baseball career and college career was ending. So my story there started as a uh, receptionist. You know, I wanted to come in from the ground level, uh, show everybody else I belong, not just like my daddy gave me a job, you know, and put me at the top. And I just kind of rolled up my sleeves and, and work hard and 
over the seven, about seven or eight years of answering phones and then teaching classes and doing outside sales. When they were looking for a new CEO, I just kind of put my uh, hat in the ring and I've been doing it now at Learn It for 28 years. And we have upskilled and reskilled 1.8 million people over that time. So that wow. in a nutshell is my uh, story. Uh, I apologize if it, if I get a little emotional, just like talking about this. Cause like you literally told my story, um, not to make this about me, but the, the, the exact wording of the baseball career and the depression, the, the loss of identity. And, totally. you know, it, it's, uh, it keeps that chip on your shoulder though, and carries so much weight towards entrepreneurship that I think in the, in the short term, we don't know, but as it continues to unfold, like that level of discipline and commitment and hard work and teamwork and a sense of winning, it's very tough to recreate, but entrepreneurship is one of the closest things to to recreate that, right? So like, was there an inflection point in your life as you start to realize like, hey, now I'm in the, you know, you started like the corporate side of world. Now you're in the entrepreneurship side. Like, when did you start to connect that previous life with this new life and really start to embrace it? That's a great question. And I probably didn't really realize it too early on, you know? I, uh, like I said earlier, I wasn't even sure if my skills were transferable. And what I've realized since then is they're totally transferable. And that's for all your listeners out there, whether it's sports or music, whatever you, what you've learned from that experience, you can transfer over for the rest of your life. And I just kind of innately, I think whether it was getting over imposter syndrome, I came up with a plan for that, or whether it was just the competitiveness and the discipline you learn. So I would say it probably took me a couple of years, um, but I, I, and I kind of talk about it in my, well, I do talk about it in my book, like everything I learned about becoming a leader I, is, is from three, cause I played for three hall of fame baseball coaches, which is a, you know, very unique uh, at Arizona state. I had a stopover in junior college and then at, at um, Pepperdine. And so what I learned from them is what I, have used to model my entrepreneurship or my leadership over, over the years. So what, what advice do you have for folks that are listening to this, that maybe they are in that, in that spot of like the valley of despair, they're done sports. They're trying to figure out what the next chapter is like, what advice do you have for those future business athletes? We like to call them. I like that term future business athletes. What I'd like to say is whether you're, you know, 22 or you played maybe even in the big leagues and uh, in football or baseball, whatever, tennis, and you're now 30, 35, uh, you have plenty of time left. And your identity, right, Antonio, it doesn't, it, you, you're more than just a baseball player or you're more than, than just a tennis player. So I think you need to trust yourself, find something that you're excited about and give it a shot. I mean, I think us athletes are, are a different breed. I think that, you know, we can deal with failure. We can deal. We're not afraid to hear somebody say no or turn us down. Right. And um, I know like here at Learn It, I got 80 employees. I would say I got about 12 who are ex-athletes. Um, and it's because of the, the drive and the discipline. So don't worry about, to answer your question, Landon, to, uh, about your lack of experience in corporate America or in business. I didn't have any, I never, I never had a job until uh, my baseball career ended. You know, I was always playing baseball, but what you had, what you, what you've learned is transferable and you can be super successful 
moving forward. So your, your book, The Learn It All Leader, mm-hmm. explain to us what is a Learn It All Leader? What is that book about? What is that story and the backstory on that title? And just give us the whole rundown there. Cool. Uh, well, first of all, my definition of a, of a leader, it, you don't have to lead a 10-person team or a 1,000-person team. I think we're all leaders, and it starts with leading yourself, you know, and being accountable, taking ownership about the way you go about things. So a learn-it-all leader, uh, and my book, I think, is a, it's, it's pretty practical and easy to read. I, I weave in some stories and, and, and I have actionable items. But, you know, it's really the difference between what a learn-it-all is and a know-it-all. And so, and, and we can be both a learn it all and a know it all in certain domains, but, you know, a know it all is somebody who comes in, I got it all figured out. I know what I want to do. I'm, I'm the smartest person in the room. I don't need your help. Um, and a learn it all leader is somebody who, who says, you know, the four traits really are, they're humble, curious. I think curious plays a huge part in it. They have integrity and then they have courage, you know, having courage in my opinion, is, uh, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and not being afraid to try something or make mistakes. Being humble to me is like, hey, guys, I'm not a, I don't have all the answers. I want to surround myself with better talent. Um, Let's work at this together. So the first half of my book is all about being. It's kind of like, this is the mindset of what a learn it all leader is. And the second half is doing. So how do we take what we now think of ourselves as a learn all leader and have some actionable items that you can implement to actually becoming a, uh, you know, uh, a learn it all instead of, you know, somebody who, who has all the answers. In your content, you talk a lot about this trust tax. Um, I have to assume it's in the, in the book as well. Tell us about what that means. So trust tax is, you know, we all go into these relationships, right? You know, whether it's a personal relationship, whether it's a, uh, a business relationship. And we have two choices. You know, you could be cynical thinking, Hey, th- you know, uh, and close minded, like, okay, this person might, you know, screw me over. Or you can, what I really learned from my dad is like, Hey, you know, be smart about it, but give people the opportunity, you know, and, and give them an opportunity to, to have, have your trust. And you know, guys like me, like I like to help people, you know, and I think that that comes back to you. And, um, but the trust tax is, sometimes you get screwed over. You know, sometimes people take advantage of that, either on purpose or not on purpose. And to me, that's just kind of the tax that you pay, right? That's just something that you have to deal with. But I think it's worth paying because instead of being cynical, you know, uh, and thinking people can't get things done, it's like if, if you if you hire a, an assistant or you hire somebody on your team, you want to give them the space and trust that they're going to get the work done that they're capable of doing it, you know, and, until they prove you wrong, until they prove you wrong. So that's mm-hmm. really uh, what, what I look at as uh, a trust tax. And, and I'd have to say, like, in my short experiences, the the toughest part is getting over the fact that some people are going to break that trust, right? Like you, you, you do this enough, there's a small percentage or a, a certain percentage of people that are, but you, it's, it's much better than just not trusting anyone, Right. And, and I, I would love to hear your, your experience on that. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. I mean, I, I have a story in my book where I had these uh, two, two gentlemen who worked with me for 20 years. And I, I really, you know, I took care of them, I think, and I, and I treated them fairly. And, you know, we had, we had friendships. Well, they spun out 
and they uh, basically did a copycat of, of Learn It, right? And I'm all for people leaving and doing their own things, but come up with your own point of view. You know, sure. come up with come up with your own story, your own business. And you know, there's two ways to go about it. You know, there's some people who say, "Hey, you know, this must really affect you and, and bother you." I'm like, you know what? It happened. It's over with. They can't compete with us, anyways. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, if that's what we have to worry about, that's that's a bigger problem. I just, I'm not going to let that, Antonio, affect my future relationships and future opportunities to, to give people uh, the chance to uh, to to treat me. To get, I want to give people the opportunity. I want to help people. I want to give them the opportunity to succeed and think that they have the best intentions. And um, you know, the majority of the time, it will work out. You, you, you'll get, you know, screwed over sometimes, but it's just part of the game and you just have to you just have to deal with it. And you have to be smart enough to find early on indications maybe that that could happen and um, and learn from those lessons. So well said. And, and the quicker you can learn those indicators, the easier it is for people to just easily disqualify themselves from your network, from Absolutely. that trust. I, I love it. So, so let's pivot to learn it. Let's talk about learn it. You've seen it from the inception to now what it is today. Talk to us about like the business model growing up and then where that shifted to now that like computers and AI are involved and like everyone's massively adopted this thing. I'd love to also hear about like the second generation style of business of running it. Cause like the odds are completely stacked against you from a statistic standpoint of actually like continuing to grow the business as a second generation business owner. Walk us through that that evolution. So, first of all, my my, my dad never worked at Learn It. I mean, he came up with the idea, and it was his brainchild. But you know, he was he'd come visit, and, and he was an awesome person. I mean, I, my best friend. Um, but yeah, I was the I did come in as a, the second CEO, and I think that uh, things have really evolved over the years. And you know, it's amazing to, to think it's been here twenty eight years. That's a long, long time. And I don't think that this, I don't think I'd still be as passionate about Learn It and as excited about it if we didn't have like a startup mentality where we're always trying to learn and evolve. Because if we didn't, we would have been, you know, the typical blockbuster story and passed over. And really what you have to do is you have to kind of stay a little bit ahead of the game, you know, listening to your customers, you know, what their needs are. Sometimes they understand, they know what they need. Sometimes they don't, you know, and, uh, We've really evolved over time. We saw, I don't know, about 15 years ago that that some of the computer skills, which we still do a lot of, you know, there's YouTube and there's there's other ways to to find that. And our customers' needs really turned more into some of the soft skills, which I don't like that term. Uh, I don't like that term because there's nothing really soft about I think leadership or project management. You know, I think those are those are more power skills. Uh, and so we kind of pivoted and put a lot of investment into building content uh, around that. So we do both. We do the uh, Excel and, and we also do the, we do a lot of training and a lot of work to help upskill new managers. So individuals who are maybe getting into becoming a manager for the first time. And uh, I think with the future, with AI and everything, I was just having this conversation uh, before we started talking and uh, I don't think that in the next couple of years, it's going to take over the learning and development world. I think it's going to help enhance it for sure. Right. I think there's always going to be a need for 
live training, whether it's virtual or in person, but, but definitely it can get better. And a lot of these technologies can help make the, the retention stronger. Cause you know, you can come take a two hour class on, on how to deal with conflict, but you're not going to, you're going to forget most of what you learned. But if we can create learning milestones along the way to help make that retention more sticky, I, I think that that's really where the uh, investment is for the individuals who are going through our class, if that's the right way to say it. So who are your ideal customers, your clients? Like who are the folks that you see yourself impacting the most right now? Has that changed over time, the market you serve? Yeah, it, it has changed over time because like I said before, we were pretty heavily on the on the tech IT side. So right. we do a lot with help desk and IT teams and everything for certifications. I would say from an industry perspective, we're pretty autonomous. I mean, you know, we, we work with everybody. So we, we don't focus specifically on tech or we don't fit, focus on retail. So we, we serve everybody. You know, some of our, our largest clients are, you know, these, you know, ma- massive fortune 500, 100 companies. Uh, but I, I would say our target audience right now, really, we love working with companies that have, you know, 50 to 1,000 employees that don't have their own L&D team. So they can kind of look at us as like their outsourced learning and development team, right? So that we can we can fill that role for them. And we typically work with uh, human resources, uh, chief of people, you know, people, talent, talent management, and then different business units. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Awesome. You mentioned you have a team of 80. Mm-hmm. How has that team evolved over time? How do you go about leadership in your organization how do you go about growing that and, and scaling that internally? Like talk about the timeline of the growth internally as a team and how you go about, you know, being the leader of that operation and everything. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say when I say 80, I'd say about 40 are part-time instructors, you know, are individuals who maybe have consulting businesses or, um, are coaches and, and they're, it's great. They can supplement their income. The rest of the team, you know, is made up of sales and, and uh, customer success, product development, and really, you know, I don't have any superpowers. But if if I if if I did, I would say I've done I've been able to really um, uh, recruit and hire and retain great talent. And for us, Landon, a lot of it is I really like to hire for potential over experience. And this is important, I think, for your listeners, too, who are early on in their career. Uh, If you see a job posting and maybe you don't meet all the qualifications and you might be like, well, I'm not going to apply for that job. Apply anyways, right? Apply anyways, because some of those are just nice to have, right? So give yourself a shot. For us, yeah, I, I prefer potential over experience. Can't happen in all cases, but we're looking for individuals who, you know, fit our uh, our core values around ability to keep learning. You know, you can embrace change. You know, you act like an owner. You have accountability, and we can develop those skills. We can help those people develop over that over time. Some individuals stay with us for a couple of years and then they move on. You know, I'm really proud. I mean, we have CEOs who started at Learn It. You know, in tech startups and uh, senior VPs at large companies um, right down the in the bay. And um, what's really helped is we've created this culture where a lot of times our referrals come from either in-house or from our alumni. 
you know, where uh, we had a, a gold medalist uh, swimmer uh, work for us for a year and a half, uh, who was a referral from somebody else who was the captain of the Cal Berkeley swim team. And so typically it's these individuals understand how I run, learn it, what I look for in people. And they say, Hey, th- this person has the, uh, you know, I want to refer you to Damon or I want to refer you to their hiring managers because you kind of, you fit the culture. And then you bring these people in, you figure out what their strengths are. You, you focus on those strengths and then you give them the space to, to do their work. And then when, when failure happens, you know, you kind of coach them through it. You don't get frustrated about it. And then you help celebrate their wins. You know, that's one thing I learned. I don't know if either of you have ever played for a coach or had a manager who like whenever something went well, they love to take all the credit. Like, you know, it's, it's all about them. They made the right pitching decision or they called the right play in football, you know, but uh, I had a coach like that. doesn't matter who it is. Um, wasn't one of the three Hall of Fame coaches. Um, but then when, when things went poorly, they just put it on, 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 on their team. Like that's their fault, you know, and, and I believe it's the opposite. I, I love to celebrate our team's wins, you know, and give them credit because it's going to motivate them to do more. And if something gets messed up, then that's on me or that's on our, that's, you know, we're accountable. I'm accountable for that as the, uh, you know, owner or CEO. So those are all my little tips on what I've felt like helped us really grow a, a solid group of talent. And I think everyone needs to go rewind and listen to that again, because this is why learn it and every venture that Damon's involved this is going to stay not only just like win now, but win down the road, because that is not the easier route in business when you hire for potential, not talent, because you're, you're putting yourself, you're exposing yourself to a lot more risk and it's a lot more expensive to go that route potentially because of the amount of training involved it is for somebody so green. So also kudos to your operations and how airtight they must be from an, a standard operating procedure standpoint for somebody to onboard as quickly. And you just really looking for those soft skills in terms of like tenacity and grit, the things that you can't quantify on a resume. So that's awesome. That's kind of what I heard where my head went of like, wow, they must have some awesome operations there, given the fact that they may be hiring people with less experience, but the SOPs must be airtight. Am I correct in that or am I not? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Sure. You know, I mean, but, but, but that's like in any organization because we're always trying to learn. And right now they are. I mean, I have this, this woman, I talk about her in my book, uh, Courtney Ritchie, you know, when she came, she, she came in. In, in 2008, and I had to make a really difficult choice. You know, with, with the Great Recession, with the Great Recession, we had to reduce our staff by 20%. And she was an assistant at the time, and I had her, and I had this other gentleman who's been there for like two or three years. Good guy. He could always tell you what was going on in ESPN.com, or you know, always had a funny joke. But Courtney was always working. She was only there, always there for about four or six months. And I had to make a choice between the two, and I, I stuck with Courtney and let the other let the other guy go. And it was one of the best decisions I've made. Um, Courtney was a top producer in sales, and then about a year ago, she moved over to head up the the, the CX team, the customer success team. And never have we been more more airtight, if that's what you want to say. Um, but we're always learning. You know, there, there's there's stuff that happens. Um, but it's, it's about, uh, yeah, I mean, you have to bring in this new talent. And one of the reasons why we do, especially pre-COVID, was 
I'm out here in San Francisco. I mean, it's hard to compete with Salesforce, right? It's hard to compete with Stripe. It's hard to compete with these these companies who have unlimited funding. So the, how Learn It would go about attracting this talent is doing what you're talking about. We're going to keep upskilling you and reskilling you and giving you opportunities you're not going to get other places. And we're going to deal with those failures, right? And we're going to help coach you through it. So that's really, that's what really, you know, was our, set us apart. Um, treating, so treating humans like humans. <laughs> um, I love it. Um, cool. So, so as we near the wrap up point, what I'd love to know, like you've been in the CEO position for 28 years, you know, focused on one thing for so long. I like, I struggle with the thought of that. Cause like, I always like struggle with the, the shiny object syndrome of like, what's the next opportunity. So like, how have you gone about one staying on that path and committed to the vision of learn it, but then also um, building wealth outside of this, outside of this business. And like, what are some of the ways that you started to continue to build your empire? If so. So that is a, that's a great question. It's something that somebody asked me the other day. They said, do you regret not having jumped around more? And, you know, to be honest, a little bit, you know, it would have been cool to have different experiences in different industries. I kind of get that working at learning because we work with so many different businesses in, in different types of businesses and different sizes and scales. And I get really behind the scene looks at what some of these massive companies and small companies do. And yes, um, I'm just one of those guys. And I'm sure you two were with sports as well, where it's like, you just kind of get into it, get fully committed to wanting to do it. And to answer your question about how do I, how do I build wealth outside of that is I've got uh, several real estate investments uh, and, and, and uh, you know, including in a, um, a, a office building in San Francisco that my brother and I bought about two months before COVID. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. So diversify in that way, you know, I've, I've, you know, invested in different businesses and, and areas and it's, it's helped keep me sharp too. just working with uh, founders and C-level individuals uh, and, you know, coaching them or giving them advice. Um, so I, I can't say, one way or, or the other is a better, I, I would, it would be nice to have different experience in other areas, but I also have really enjoyed what I've been doing. I, I keep it fresh by continuing to try to evolve and, and do things differently and better. So um, even though it's been 28 years, I kind of still feel like I'm, you know, 35. You know, I, love I, I love coming to work. And for your listeners out there, whether you're an entrepreneur or you work for an organization, you know, Sometimes you got to take a job, right, guys? Because you got to pay the bills. But at some point, you got to you got to find a career or uh, where you, you like you love what you do and you're good at what you do and you can make money at what you do and um, and prepare for the future. I know that that's a lot of the work that you two do. It's I don't think you can um, just be financially well off if you just count on your nine to five job too. I mean, that's yeah. it's kind of crazy. I mean, you can't do that. So you're 28 years in. What do the next 28 years look like? What's the vision? Where do you see all this stuff going? So I would say, um, first of all, my grandfather went to the office at not, at 100 the day before he passed away. So I, I don't have any. He was he was awesome. You know, World War II vet, both theaters. You know, character, uh, San Francisco legend, kind of kind of. So I don't have any any inter interest in um, retiring. Uh, I would say where things are going to continue to evolve at with Learn It is, you know, we're going to have to adapt and, and continue to leverage the technology that's out there and um, 
to enhance the, the content that we do deliver. And we got to continue to look at ways to help serve our audience with the end goal of making, you know, better leaders for the future. So I don't I know. Am it. I going to do this in another 28 years? Who knows? I mean, I got a, I was telling you, I got a six-year-old and a two-year-old. I'm pretty sure that my two-year-old Wally named after my dad is going to be a, a third baseman for the, for the giants or the, 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 the brave. So, um, you know, if you want mark the to clip, be, mark the clip, Tony. Yeah, there you I go. You know? and, uh, <laughs> and if he is, I might have to, you know, hand off, learn it to my, uh, my daughter, Lucy, who I think can, can run it. And then I can, I can be, uh, just follow Wally around the country. So maybe let's go um, if, if he wants to, you know, we'll see. Sure. Sure. Um, one question that we always ask, if you've listened to our podcast before, you know, towards the end, it's kind of corny, but the, the podcast is called the consistency wins podcast. So consistency is the name of the game for us. That's basically how we go about everything. We take this big daunting goal and we reverse engineer it to where all we have to do is stay consistent to these micro habits to make sure that we win. What does that word mean to you? And how does it show up in your life? So what, what consistency means to me is uh, in my book, I talk a lot about, you know, how I've come up with a three-step process to overcome uh, imposter syndrome, right? Which I think we deal with quite a bit. Um, and the first step is to work hard. And so what I mean, what I mean by work hard is you don't need to work 10 to 14 hours a day, but you need to be consistent. You need, you need to be consistent with what you do and put in the work. Um, so that, that's really what it means to me. The second step is deliberate practice. You know, so when you're being consistent and you're working hard, that you're, you're focusing and you're being deliberate and not getting procrastinating away from, uh, your task at hand. And then the third step is to really, um, learn and let go. Right. So you're putting in all this effort, you know, you're, you're being consistent with what you're doing and in, in preparation so that when you're, you know, if your imposter syndrome is over, uh, I don't know, giving a presentation or, or doing something, but when, when, when it's game time that you, you're not worried about what you've been preparing because you know that you've already been there because of the consistent effort and work you put in and that you uh, just kind of let go and, and learn, you know, so you, you learn uh, either you're, you're going to be successful with it or you can take away something that can make you um, do better next time. But I, I think consistency is very difficult and I think it's incredibly important. Uh, it's only very difficult because people, people give up sometimes, right? They give up and um, they shouldn't, they got to stick with it and be tenacious with it. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. Good stuff. Well, Damon, how can our listeners connect with you? How can they follow you? How can they support? What's the, uh, what's the best way to do that? So um, my company's website is uh, learnit.com. Um, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. It's probably the best place at Damon Lemby. And yeah, find me there. I also have a new YouTube channel that we're releasing uh, our Learn It content every week uh, on soft skills you know, just Damon Lemby, but the easiest is again, is just LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, appreciate your time, brother. Thank you so much. Guys.